Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Command Point. We have a very special faction deep dive uh, here and ready for you today. We're going to be talking about the blooded traitors, the traitor guard, the chaos guard, whatever you want to call them. And we are joined today by one of, uh, if not the best, uh, blooded player, uh, Chris Baki. Chris, how's it going? It's going great. Thank you guys so much for having me. It's, it's yeah, great to be on. And I am joined, as always, by Ryan. Ryan, how are you? I'm a little bit under the weather, but I am excited to get going with this deep dive here. Yeah, so I mean, the Blooded have been out for... Oh my goodness, I want to say... It feels like, like forever, right? Yeah, like eight months, seven, eight months at this point. Maybe I'm overshooting. Yeah, the legendary Morok drop. Uh, yeah, which, the... <laughs> which I remember on release, it was going to be the Phobo Supremacy, and yeah. oh yeah, the, the Blooded too, I guess. And it's kind of gone the other way on that, where the Phobos are, are by far the more underwhelming half of that box, and Blooded, after some, you know, some fortunate meta changes and other things, have actually turned out to not only be better than Phobos, but like a pretty respectably strong team, right? Yeah, definitely. I think one thing that threw people off uh, was was right after Morak came out, there was like this this month of, of crack grenade blooded everywhere. And shortly <laughs> after, they released the data slate where they limited those grenades to one per team. And I think when a lot of people saw that, they were thinking, well, now blooded can't be a four crack delivery team. I guess I'm just not going to play them. Um, and I actually in, had that same gut instinct and actually <laughs> tried playing them right after the nerf and they took all my crack grenades away. And I actually did a lot better. I actually had been struggling oh. my games before that, and I actually won handily when I stopped trying to use the crack grenades. And after the game, I was thinking to myself, I'm like, man, I think there might be something here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I, I don't think I've ever actually played a game with Blooded. I've played against them quite a few times. But I did have that same reaction after the crack grenade change that, well, this feels like it took the wind out of the sails a little bit, and there wasn't much wind in the sails to begin with. Um, but it sounds like even if those grenades were still around, the better way to play them probably wouldn't have involved all those grenades, maybe, possibly. Yeah, that's that's what I came around to. And I and I think really what it you know, at a at a base level, I think what it all revolves around is when people first looked at this team, there was this knee-jerk reaction to think that their vet guard just evil with spikes. And <laughs> really I think it they couldn't be that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, the superficial similarities to the Vet Guard just completely disappear once you actually start doing this, you know, diving in and really understanding the faction more fundamentally. So I think people were so trained to see those the four trooper Vet Guard, they're all chucking grenades, and tried to apply that same principle to Blooded, and didn't have a lot of success trying to run them that way. Because Blooded just simply lack a lot of the tools that made the Vet Guard version of that so much more effective. Yeah, so basically what we're going to do here uh, today is we're going we're gonna to talk about everything. Um, we're not going to, you know, read line by line everything. So I recommend everybody that is listening, if you're not driving, uh, to pull up like PD or something and follow along with some of the stuff we're going to talk about. So Ryan, where are we starting today with our uh, Phobos deep dive? What's the first thing? Well, first off, we're not talking about Phobos today, Shane. We're talking about Blooded. So Dang. with that out of the way. <laughs> um, Shane was omni-scrambled. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, the, the first thing we have on the, uh, on the docket here is uh, talking about the ploys. Um, but I, I think I want to interject here a little bit and talk about, I guess, kind of like, 
I don't know. What, where do you think we should talk about the blooded ability, Chris? Do you think we should start off with talking about it? It's kind of like their whole like faction flavor, right? That's that's a good question. Yeah, I think I think it probably makes sense to start off because everything from the ploys to the operatives, to the equipment, a lot of it's going to call back to the blooded token system. So I think getting it just right out the gate, I think, makes a lot of sense. So the blooded have a faction mechanic called well, blooded where you accumulate a pool of blooded tokens during the game. And as you get uh, blooded tokens into your pool uh, over the course of the game, you know, especially at the start of each turning point, you can go ahead and divvy out those tokens and, and put them on operatives of your, of your team. And when one of your guys has a blooded token, it lets them retain an automatic uh, hit in, a, in either fighting or shooting. So it's pretty flexible that way. And that's sort of the core of the, of the blooded token mechanic. And there's a few other advantages you have by being blooded. Uh, one clear disadvantage, actually, which, which we'll get into when we talk about the tactical ploys. Uh, so that's, that's the baseline of the mechanic. Once you've accumulated four, and you have four on the table, then you get to pick one of your guys to have Gaze of the Gods. And that's where these hits you're retaining become crits, and we really start uh, making some money out of the system. And, and that's a high-level breakdown of the Blooded Token system. So I just I have one question about the Blooded Tokens. Have you found, because one of the reactions to the, to the whole ability initially was that it seems like it takes a while to, to get them built up. Uh, have you found that to be true? In short, yes, um, and especially given the way that I, I play. I actually don't emphasize blooded token accumulation very much, and I know this is something that on paper you think to yourself, well, the main faction ability is getting these blooded tokens. How are you telling me that I'm, you're actually not that concerned about getting them? Yeah, it's a little bit slow going to get them. You only get one for turn for just, quote, having a pulse, and you need four on the table before you give anyone that gaze the gods ability. That means that in practice, with the amount of bloodshed that's generally going on, you get one for killing something every turn, and you get one for having somebody die within six inches of an opponent. That means generally you won't have your four until, you know, turn two is on the earlier side, and turn three is generally where you're more rely reliably going to get those four tokens. So it is a little bit slow to accumulate, and when somebody with a token dies, unless some special exception happens, that token's gone. It doesn't go back to your pool. It just fizzles in, into nothingness. So not only do you have a precious limited resource, it can go away at the drop of a hat. Most of your operatives have seven wounds and they die to a stiff freeze. Now that we've got the blooded ability out of the way, um, I guess let's move into the strategic ploys. Uh, that, that is certainly a thing. Um, they have four of them. They've got four attack ploys, four strategic ploys. So I guess let's start with, uh, I'm, I'm going to explain what each one of these does in, in a brief summary. And then, Chris, you can tell me how you feel about this play. Okay. That's good. So uh, first and foremost, we have overcharge las guns for one command point. Um, so until the end of the turning point, basically, uh, it's it lets them gain uh, a second profile on their las guns that are AP1, kind of like when you're overcharging a plasma, except it goes from having no AP to having AP1 and that hot ability. So is this something you use a lot? No, I don't think I've ever used it. Okay. Uh, definitely overcharged last guns. You know, it's it's a it's a copy over from Vet Guard. Uh, yeah. When Vet Guard use it, they have reroll ones on their troopers, and they also have latch uh, those uh, hotshot capacitor packs to turn those last guns into bolters. Blooded had neither of those tools, and usually, if you're putting blooded tokens on your troopers, you've either already won or something's gone horribly wrong. So this one's a hard pass for me. I don't think I've ever used it. All right. Okay. Go ahead, Ryan. Oh, sure. Uh, so the next one here is Glory Kill. So uh, it's 1 CP, select 1 enemy operative visible to a friendly blooded operative until the end of the turning point. 
Uh, each time a friendly blooded operative fights in combat with or makes a shooting attack against that enemy operative in the roll attack dice step of the combat or shooting attack, you can re-roll one of your attack dice. Uh, Chris, yeah. how do you feel about this? Yeah, this one's pretty neat. Uh, it's definitely great to use against especially elite teams like Intercessors where you really want to bring down one single big target. It's got some great intimidation factor behind it too because when, when you say I'm, I'm going glory kill and you're pointing at a guy, people tend to just freak out when you start saying that. They think something bad's going to happen when that person dies. All it does is it gives, it gives your team permanent balanced against that target. I also use it a little bit against... Uh, you know, against Hyrotech Circle, I've used it on the, the on the Cryptex, against Gather Proxies and the Hulk sometimes. It's just really good if you know you're going to need sustained, more reliable damage output against targets, especially at range. Gotcha. Yeah, I think that's one of the more flavorful ones here. I, I like Glory Kill a lot. Um, it's, it's a pretty interesting, and it's really good against elite teams too, which is cool. Yeah. Um, so next up we have Reckless Aspirants. I think that's how it's pronounced. Uh, so basically, um, uh, when an operative uh, w without a blooded token is within six of your drop zone, you treat it as if it, d or in six of your opponent's drop zone, excuse me, you basically pretend that they do have one. So I'm going to say this sounds like a pretty good one. Chris, what do you think? It sounds good in theory, and definitely before the most recent critical ops stuff and Into the Dark, it was stronger. And Into the Dark, it's, it's virtually a complete no-go because the amount of time of the game you'll spend within six of your opponent's drop zone is virtually none of it um, mm -hmm. in, in that context. On open board, it has a little more play, but on the um, nacho deployment or on hot dog <laughs> deployment, you don't really spend, like by the time you're near your opponent's drop zone that far deep, you normally have enough blood of tokens out or um, you, know, you're ha you have a way of getting them. And on Hamburger, it has some play. So I don't use this one too often, but it does have some serious utility. God, I've heard Hamburger and Hot Dog Deployment, but I don't know how I've never heard Nacho Deployment. Because... Oh, there's, there's a whole controversy on, <laughs> on this on the, on the West Coast, I'm oh, sure. God. Yeah. <laughs> so right. it's going to make its way everywhere. You have to pick a team. Yeah, yeah. Dirty Fighters. Okay. So uh, this is their last strategic play. It's one CP as well. Uh, basically, when you're when you're in combat and you have combat support, um, you can retain a hit as if a normal hit, as if it's a critical hit. Uh, so, how do we feel about dirty fighters? You know, on paper, it sounds really neat. In practice, it's definitely held back by the fact that there's not too many exciting crit um, systems that this team has in melee. The Ogren being a notable exception, and with these tools, you tend to really want to be able to alpha strike them and punch hard and punch fast, and they generally don't survive the counter-strike. I find that in my games, I don't get combat support very often, uh, so this, this is one I use pretty rarely and tends to be when I've used it, I've regretted it. Interesting. So it sounds like, honestly, especially in the current climate, like Glory Kill is like probably your most frequent one these days. Yeah, of the strategic ploys, and, and the joke that I make is is the uh, the strategic ploy for blooded is command reroll because uh, <laughs> that that's actually and and all jokes aside, what matters a lot for this faction is getting a specific kill at the right time and making that reliable. And I actually enjoy the fact that I don't have other ploys to compete with my need for CP reroll. All right, so I guess now we can go ahead and get stuck in with these tactical ploys here. Uh, I'm hoping you like more of these, Chris. Um, I guess we'll start off here with uh, Callous Disregard for 1 CP. Uh, so 
you use this when a shoot action is declared for a friendly blooded operative or that shooting attack. Uh, having other friendly operatives within engagement range of an enemy operative does not prevent that enemy operative from being selected as a valid target. Uh, when determining line of sight, enemy operatives cannot use friendly operatives' bases as cover. In the roll attack dice step of that shooting attack, failed hits are instead retained separately as successful normal hits. And then in the resolve successful hit step of that shooting attack, those retained hits inflict damage on one friendly operative within engagement range of the target operative. So basically you get to shoot into an ongoing melee combat with the, uh, I guess, the detriment of inflicting damage onto one of your own models. Yeah, so, so it's interesting you use the word detriment there. Because one of the really neat ways of having callous dis disregard and shooting into an ongoing fight is sometimes you're completely okay with killing the person you're engaged with. Uh, your opponent tries to run up and hug one of your operatives that already activated. You spray wildly into, the sh into that uh, combat. You kill the friend. And then that target is now left open for the rest of your team to retaliate with shooting. So uh, sometimes it can actually be a positive that those, those hits will kill your buddy in there. Um, overall, I love this ploy. It's so fun to be able to point at somebody in, in a combat and say, I shoot that person. And your opponent will look at you and say, no, 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 they're in, they're in a combat. And you just smile and you say, nope, callous disregard. Um, incredibly satisfying. 10 out of 10 ploy. I love this thing. Um, and any chance I get to use it, I will. And if you wind up killing your own model in that combat, like you were saying, you also get a blooded token, or a, you get a blood token for that, right? Or a blooded token? There there are times where you can you can effectively do this to you start off a turn and get two blooded tokens immediately out of it, theoretically, yeah. Nice. Interesting. That's super cool. You know, I remember reading that one for the first time and being like, man, how come the Pathfinder one doesn't work like that? Um, but with that in mind, it is pretty interesting, the idea of, like, getting rid of, like, the protective bubble that they're hiding in. Um, and this one doesn't have a range requirement. So the Pathfinder one, they need to be within six inches to use it. This one you can use it across table. That's a good point. Yep. Uh, so, okay, so we're one for one on tack plays right now. Uh, let's go over to Moment of Repute. Uh, basically, it's a uh, it's it has to be under the gaze of the gods, but you use this when you activate them, and they become three APL. So, I mean, the, the model that is under the gaze of the gods is a typically i would imagine a pretty good model to have three apl definitely um, yeah take it away chris yeah this one is is also fantastic in the right situation this is the make a late game play um ploy and uh one example of a situation i used it was actually at lvo in my final game or well, not my final game against my, uh, my game with orion where there was one final objective on the table to be looted and i gained initiative and I don't have any operatives very close to it. All of them would need a move dash to get to the point and then loot it. So what I do is I activated my plasma gunner, gave him gaze of the gods, did moment of repute, had a move dash over and loot the, loot the final objective uh, to secure my uh, very hard fought for tie there. Uh, so this is absolutely a ploy that is excellent at making late game plays to you get that extra comms boost where you need it and uh, is super effective in the right circumstances. So moment of repute is also amazing. All right. Uh, next up here, we have Reward Earned for 1 CP. Uh, you use it when an enemy operative is incapacitated by a friendly operative within 3 of it. Uh, you add 1 Blooded Token to your pool. So you're sacrificing 1 Command Point for a Blooded Token. Uh, Chris, is this worth it? Because my knee-jerk reaction to it is it's not. Yep, that's... Yeah, I think I've used this maybe once. 
Uh, there are times, I think, in the the early game, if you do sort of the, yeah, and something I'll maybe talk about in a bit is sort of the flenser rush to try to get blooded tokens for a Gaze of the Gods turn two. There is a situation where you might want to spend for this, but I, like I said earlier, I love hoarding my CP here uh, to use Callous Disregard, to use maybe Moan of Repute, to, to use the, the ploy we talk about next, or to just have some in the tank for command rerolls. So much of your shooting is hitting on fours. Having those command rerolls in the tank can absolutely change the course of the game. Okay, very cool. So I'm just going to read Dark Favor here. This is the last tech ploy. It's one CP. Uh, use this when a friendly blooded operative that has a blooded token is selected as the target of a shooting attack. Select one other friendly blooded operative that does not have a blooded token is within range two, or I guess uh, two two inches, <laughs> um, and is visible to the active operative. And uh, basically, it's save your protocols. So I can imagine why this is pretty good. <laughs> yeah, uh, th this this is an amazing ploy, again, to really swing things. It can swing things in the early game. If your opponent goes for an alpha strike on a gunner, uh, I absolutely am guilty of leaving a gunner out intentionally to bait a shot, where then I have some mook, you know, uh, jump in front of the bullet and die. Then I retaliate with my gunner and kill, you know, an opponent's really prized gunner operative where they thought they were going to be safe because they had a secure kill on a, on a plasma gunner. So uh, it's absolutely great for some of those early game trades. And it's also really, really strong late game because you can basically when your opponent's running out of shoot actions and they only have so many things they can do. If you get to pick the operative that dies, you have a lot of agency in making sure somebody's around to do a mission action or be in the right space at the right time. Absolutely can swing the game. Uh, one thing I want to call back to, though, is make sure that you're aware of who has blooded tokens here and who doesn't. Because for this ploy to work, somebody without a blooded token has to jump in front of somebody with a blooded token. So there are times where I intentionally, late game, do not allocate blooded tokens to certain operatives, maybe like my comms and maybe a trooper. Keep them empty to make sure they can do the Get Down, Mr. President, Dark Favor ploy. <laughs> nice. Very cool. So... Uh, we're going to come back around to the TAC Ops and equipment later, but first I want to talk about the operatives on the team, of which there are quite a few. Uh, so we're going to touch on all of the specialists right now and uh, kind of talk about how we feel about each of them. Uh, so first and foremost, I'm going to start with the the Grenadier, the Trader Brimstone Grenadier. So uh, outside of, you know, so the basic chassis, I'll just say now, uh, Three-circle movement, two APL, uh, five-up save, seven wounds. Uh, most of these guys hit on fours. Uh, Grenadier is... He is hitting on fours with his last gun and bayonet, but uh, he's a Grenadier. So first of all, he has frag and crack grenades. He just comes with these. He doesn't have to pay equipment points for them, but he's also got the Diabolic Bomb, uh, which is four shots on threes, three-three, range six, blast two, indirect, and splash two. Splash two is nasty here um and then he has the uh, explosive demise ability so if he dies you roll a d6 subtracting one from the results if he's within engagement range uh but uh otherwise on a three up each operative visible to and within range two of this operative suffers d3 mortal wounds so he just explodes um this guy is uh pretty good uh, chris why don't you talk about him yeah, so there's a few pieces I warn my opponents about if they're new to, new to Blooded. This is one of them. Uh, this Diabolic Bomb with the Splash 2, Blast 2 means that if you have a clump of three operatives within two inches of each other, 
This operative, if he has Gaze of the Gods, deals an automatic six mortal wounds to every single target in that cluster just by throwing the bomb. Like, that's yeah. before needing to roll anything. Uh, the amount of daisy chain damage this can do to clump targets is insane. Uh, it is absolutely the gain of teams like uh, the bane of teams like Gellerpox, who have a lot of clumping going on, and the the sort of the reach that all the splashing can go is just is just crazy. So uh, he's absolutely a delivery system for the diabolic bomb. There are times where he might want to use the the crack grenade instead against a single target. Uh, but this guy's amazing. Uh, I never have his uh, blow himself up ability work though. I just I've never <laughs> I've never rolled it. So I I think it's cool in theory. It should work, but. I, I've yet to actually get to use it in my game. Yeah, would you say that the Grenadier is, I mean, is he an auto-take? In all but one matchup, yes. Uh, the only matchup I drop him is against the uh, Navis Breachers, where their Void Armor degrades the effectiveness of the Diabolic Bomb to the to such a degree that it actually sort of makes him not useful. That makes sense, because of the splash and their, their Void Armor and all that, yeah. Correct, yeah. So what do we got next, Ryan? So next up, we have the Trader Butcher. Uh, pretty much has the same profile as the uh, Brimstone Grenadier, except that he has eight wounds instead of seven. Um, and he's got a uh, power weapon and cleaver, so four attacks, hitting on threes, damage four, six, lethal five up with blood offering. Uh, blood offering means that each time he fights in combat uh, and the resolve successful hit steps, the first time he strikes with a critical hit, you add one blooded token to your pool. And then he also has unholy sustenance. So each time he fights in combat, if it kills uh, an enemy model, it regains D3 lost wounds. So kind of a, I don't know, a glass cannon of a melee brawler. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, th this team is unfortunately made of glass all over the place. Uh, Butcher's super cool, so he's he's rocking that power weapon profile and can pretty reliably deal, you know, around 10 wounds to most kinds of targets, inclu including intercessors, which is really handy. Uh, the ability to eat people after he kills them is awesome, and he also helps you accumulate blooded tokens a little more quickly. So uh, he's an auto-take. I can't think of a matchup where I wouldn't bring him. God, it just clicked that unholy sustenance he is human he flesh he's eating, uh, he's, he's eating long pig yeah he eats croot too i mean he eats he i actually had that happen at lvo where the croot cut skin charged him uh the croot cut skin didn't roll that great and the butcher got the crits he needed um so the so the cut skin knocked him down to two wounds but then he ate him and got two wounds back bringing him back to four wounds so he's not injured anymore he then activates charges and kills kills another Kroot and survives off one wound um, before finally getting zapped by the, the crazy uh, flamer thing. So, uh, yeah, he, he had a great day. So next up, we've got the Traitor Commsman. So at first glance, this is just your regular comms guy, very similar to the Vatguard comms. He does have another ability, though, called Sacrilegious Actuation, I, I believe that is. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, you select a friendly blooded operative visible to him within range uh, six of him, six inches. Uh, remove the blooded token and add it to the pool. Uh, it cannot be a token that operative is only treated as having. So uh, for the you know some of the ploys, uh, it doesn't. If he pretends to have it, he doesn't actually have it. Uh, but then he gets to assign one of the blooded tokens. Um, assign one blooded token to it. Oh, I'm sorry. I miss. I'm I'm skipping ahead. Then he selects this a different a guy. one. Yeah. yeah, he selects a different guy who doesn't have a blooded token. And you can effectively pass the token over to them, or if you have another token, pass that one. So you're 
you're taking blooded tokens and giving them uh, to, to different guys, essentially. So that one's actually funky. You have to read it really carefully because both clauses are independent. So the comms of sacri sacrilegious actuation can independently yank a token off a of friendly in six and or assign a token from your pool to somebody in six. So it is hyper flexible. It's not just trading one to the other. It's also doing some pool management. Uh, so that guy does that. He also does the comms thing. I love comms. I love my plus one APL stuff. Uh, this guy for me is, is definitely an auto take. And sacri sacrilegious actuation really gives you some more flexibility, especially in turn two, um, to get those blood because you start accumulating out a little more quickly. Yeah, it's kind of interesting that the, um, like, because there's going to be times when you get a blooded token early on in the turn, and without this, you can't really hand it out until, like, a like a whole turn later. Exactly. So I definitely see the uh, the value there of that ability. Yeah, it's, it's really nice. And your opponent has no idea what's going on when you're doing it. <laughs> I believe that. All right. So next up, we have the trader Corpsman. Uh, so let's see here. So I remember this guy pairs up very well with the Ogren. Um, and oh yeah, I, yeah. That and I believe that's down to his uh, his unique action stems for one AP. Uh, select a friendly blooded operative visible to and within one. Uh, select one of the stem effects from below. You can uh, only select each stim effect for each operative once per battle, and this operative cannot perform this action while within engagement range of an enemy operative. Uh, so the uh, different options you have for stim effects are the selected operative regains 2d3 lost wounds uh, until the end of the battle, the melee weapons, the selected operative is equipped with gain the relentless rule, or until the end of the battle, each time the selected operative would lose a wound Roll 1d6, and on a 6, that wound is not lost. Uh, he also has the regular dosage ability. So at the end of a, uh, excuse me, at the end of the select a kill team step of the mission sequence, if this operative is selected for deployment, you can select one friendly blooded operative to gain a stim effect, which are the ones that I had just described previously. So Chris, which stim effect are you typically shooting up your uh, Ogren with? Uh, Ogren's definitely getting relentless. Uh, it, it's just really, really essential that he gets any rerolls he can with only four dice. Uh, he, you know, Ogren is trying to punch typically the heaviest melee operative your opponent has, and being relentless on four dice is pretty, pretty important. Uh, and then giving up that six up feel no pain is also pretty handy as well. Uh, you know, unfortunately with the Corpsman, um, who I, I just I will never, never stop loving the name. Um, he is the operative I most often don't take. And that is, to me, a testament of how great the internal balance of this faction is, because he's really fun, and it's not that he's bad, it's just that I only have so many slots, and I'm competing for a lot of good stuff. He also has a really funny melee weapon. <laughs> yeah, this, this stim needle, it's uh, hits on five, lethal five, and, and crits for four. So yeah. it's, it's, it's pretty neat. Um, so I will say the last time I one of the most recent times I played against blooded uh, this guy was like blowing my mind because like it, it needs to be like clarified here that this stim action, like when you give the buff, first of all, the buff lasts forever. Yeah. It doesn't go away. Um, you can buff a guy that's gotten one of the uh, 
each yeah so let's say like you on turn one you give somebody relentless on turn two that same guy you can give him the feel no pain as well so like you can give multiple buffs and to like to the same guy and like by the end of the game like between the blooded tokens and like the stim effects it's like every single one of these guys has something really annoying going on for the opponent to like have to like juggle and deal with um and i just i thought that whole dynamic was was interesting and it felt like the team was getting stronger and stronger as the game went on that's definitely true. Uh, unfortunately, part of how they gain strength is by dying. So that <laughs> un unfortunately, that that does sort of put a cap on on it. But but yeah. So you know, unfortunately, there are only four turning points in the game. So the max you would ever give out is five total drugs. Yeah. Uh, one from pregame plus four during the game. Uh, it tends to be that your melee operatives tend to uh, you know go out and and uh, spread their wings, if you will. Um, and and my my medic when I take him, the corpsman tends to not be giving drugs anymore by turn three, turn four. Instead, he's turned into either shooting his last gun or being a mission action monkey. Um, totally fine, um, because the effect he does by giving those those early, you know, turn zero, turn one, turn two buffs out is really critical. Nice. So next up, let's move on to the traitor enforcer. So this is our, uh, this is our commissar, our traitor commissar, eff effectively. So he is uh he's got a four up save and eight wounds, so he's a little bit beefier, just a teeny tiny bit. Uh he's got a bolt pistol that hits on threes, uh, which is nice. He's got a power fist uh that hits on fours, but you know, it's a power fist, five seven brutal. Nothing to shake a shake your non power fist bat. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh he's got the uh grueling disciplinarian uh ability. So while a friendly blooded operative is visible to and within range, uh, within three inches of this operative, it is not treated as being injured. Um, you only ignore the modifier to its movement characteristic as a result of being injured if it is activated within three of this operative. Uh, so this is pretty cool. He can, uh, you know, he yells at his teammates and tells them to not be wimps, which is very uh, commissary of him. Uh, and then he has the enforce action for one AP. So. He basically selects one other friendly blooded operative that is not ready and visible to and within three inches of him uh, and then selects one of the following. Uh, you either uh, they either get to immediately perform a free dash action or uh, if they have an engage order, they can immediately do an overwatch action. Uh, all right. So, I mean, I feel like the enforcer is a operative that kind of gets like I see varying opinions on this one. So, Chris, talk to us about him. Yeah, I'm super hot on the Enforcer, but, you know, a lot of the debate on the Enforcer is because you, you don't always take them, right? And Blooded have really good internal balance, and so based on your local meta, based on the matchups you meet, and, and even the, the play styles of your opponents, you know, he may be very valuable, and he may not be as valuable. Uh, I personally just love the Enforcer, even though I know I can't always run him. Um, I really, really enjoy just being able to liberally apply Fist where I need it. And the ability to have your plasma shoot twice is just so crucial. Uh, one thing I do against intercessors when I can is I'll get my plasma gunner on turn one with that blooded token. I'll glory kill a certain intercessor target. And then I'm shooting the plasma overcharged once and then having enforcer have him shoot again with overwatch with the rerolls. You know, I might might get dice, not hit anything. But the number of times that that combo has completely nuked an intercessor has been more than more than zero times. So uh, he's really great at that. It, it's critical when you look in the Enforcer, you don't only see him as an Overwatch delivery vehicle, though. Um, that Fist is part of why you're taking him. Use the Fist, apply Fist to Forehead, it'll be great. 
<laughs> yeah, the uh, I also like that he's on a 32 mil. He's like on a bigger base than everybody else. And he's easily the, well, I don't know about easily, but he's one of the coolest looking models on the team. So, oh, like... so cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I love my enforcer. Uh, he's also a wonderful target for late game uh, moment of repute, uh, giving him that uh, gaze of the gods and an extra APL. There are so many things you can do with him. Um, I had a game against Gellerpox where he forced, uh, first told his buddy with a uh, plasma gun next to him to, to shoot Volgrar, and then charged Volgrar, and then smacked Volgrar in the face. Um, and that, that combination of all of those things happening eventually killed him, which is really, really cool. Nice. Uh, next up here, we have got the Trader Flenzer. Uh, so this guy has a couple abilities. He's got Stalk. Uh, each time this operative fights in combat uh, with the Skinning Blades, or excuse me, Stalk is a ability for the Skinning Blades. So the Skinning Blades are uh, four attacks, hitting on threes, damage three, four with Ceaseless. Nice. Uh, and then, of course, Stalk. Each time he uh, fights in combat, uh, if it's within uh, two of light or heavy terrain, the weapon gains the lethal 5-up special rule for that combat, so that's pretty nice. Uh, and then this guy is Wretched. <laughs> the wretched yeah, he is. The Wretched ability, uh, this operative can perform a charge action while it has a conceal order. I love this. Uh, if this operative is incapacitated in combat, if you have any remaining attack dice, you can strike with one attack dice before this operative is removed from the kill zone. Yeah, so this guy's amazing. Uh, I have yet to have my Flenser survive a game. Uh, he often <laughs> dies, you know, at least by turn two. Sometimes he even dies on turn one. Um, and he isn't just a crucial part of my game plan. His ability to charge while concealed means that you always have a nice counterpunch plan if some Hunter Clade uh, opponent decides to get a little too bold with where they're putting those infiltrators. Uh, I like to dash my Flenser up with that recon dash and, and get him into the thick of things pretty quickly. Uh, because... Any table you're playing on nowadays, you're going to be need somewhere near terrain. So you effectively just treat his melee weapons as always having lethal five. And that, that death strike he has um, really changes your opponent's fight math and really makes them scratch their head a little bit about how to get rid of him without taking at least a little bit of damage. Um, he's a wonderful roadblock, even at one wound, one wound remaining. He's a big problem if somebody wants to charge fight him because um, they are going to take some damage out of it. Uh, 10 out of 10, love my Flenser. Love it. Huge fan of the Flenser, too. Um, so let's talk about the gunner. I mean, this is a gunner. First of all, Chris, how many gunners do we get here? Uh, so the blooded, unfortunately, only get two gunners. Okay. Uh, you, you, you'll never take the flamer. Uh, just don't even bother. Okay. Uh, the, pla the plasma gun's the auto-take. And then you're juggling between the melted gun and the grenade launcher. Both of them have some value um, for that second uh, gunner slot. Uh, but it, it is, it's hard to say no to the plasma. It just, it clearly outclasses every single other melee, or every other ranged option, uh, just like plasma does in most of the teams. Yeah, so I mean, is it safe to say, well, maybe not safe to say because everything is very different, especially Geller Pox being really weird, but um, does the decision between the grenade launcher and the Melta usually come between whether you're playing an elite team or a horde team? That's a generally fair assessment. I mean, there's obviously some asterisks, and it somewhat has to depend on the, uh, you know, the the, the uh, map layout. If you're into the darker outside, uh, so there's a few factors that go into it. But generally, it goes broken down along the lines of elite versus horde. Cool, that makes sense. Uh, what do we got next, Ryan? Uh, next up, we have the oh, big boy. boy. Ooh, yeah, he he's coming. 
the Trader Ogren. So uh, this guy has got three circle movement, two APL, GA1, uh, five up save, 16 wounds, and is on a whopping 40 millimeter base. Uh, he has got the Power Maul and Mutant Claw, which is four attacks, hitting on threes, damage five, six with rending and stun. Uh, he's got a few abilities here. Uh, first up is Avalanche of Muscle. So each time he uh, finishes a charge move, uh, select an enemy operative within engagement range of it, and uh, it suffers D3 mortal wounds. Um, next up is Chem Enhanced. So he can ignore any or all modifiers to his APL and is not affected by the stun critical hit rule. Uh, he is a brute, so he cannot perform mission actions or the pickup action. And unless otherwise specified, he cannot be equipped with the equipment. So, I mean, I don't know if there's anything left to say other than how, like, you typically find yourself using this model, Chris. Uh, this guy's a, a straightforward, pretty much an auto-take. So I would actually challenge challenge that he's an auto-take, because in order to take the Ogryn, you are sacrificing two troopers, and there are some matchups where I right. prefer to take the two troopers. So... Uh, I don't always run him, but when I do, oh boy. Uh, what this guy does, if you roll any crits, his damage output and, and fight survivability just spikes. With rending and stun together, uh, this guy, as soon as one crit pops, again, he's just doing mass amounts of damage. Um, he's doing it safely because he's knocking out your opponent's hits. Um, he's taking opponent's options away because if, if somehow they survive the beatdown, they'll have minus one APL. Uh, so... Uh, additionally, because he does the D3 mortar wounds on the charge, he's pretty reliably one-shotting operatives at seven wounds and can, you know, without too much luck, one-shot an eight-wound operative. So those Void Dancers have a lot to worry about if this guy shows up. On the flip side, those 16 wounds will go away real fast on a five-up save. Um, even a couple rounds of, of just typical bolter shooting will just melt this guy. So if you want to have the Ogren be effective... He is. He needs to stay behind heavy cover. You need to keep him safe. Do not let him get shot. If he gets shot, he will die. And if you only let him fight in melee, he will have a wonderful time, and he'll thank you after the game. So, out of curiosity, what are the what's like a defining characteristic of a matchup where you do not take the Ogren? Yeah, so that's a great question. So Ogren and Enforcer, there's there's a question I ask myself of each of those. And the the Ogren matchup is: Am I fighting an opponent where I need to overpower them in melee? And so for a team, you know, like Commandos or like Intercessor Legionary, you know, definitely take them. Uh, against uh, teams like Vet Guard or Pathfinders, where even my regular specialists can still overpower them in melee pretty well, I'm actually going to drop the drop the Ogryn. Uh, those teams tend to be really, really good at shooting, and they'll melt this guy as soon as they get enough marker lights on him or get the right, uh, you know, gunner play. Uh, I don't even bother taking him, and instead I take troopers. Okay, interesting. So... Next up, we've got the Traitor Sharpshooter. Uh, this is your this is your sniper, although he is a little bit different from most of the other snipers in the game. Uh, his long las is four shots on threes, three, three. There's no heavy, uh, and it's only mortal wounds one. He does still have silence, though. And uh, on top of that, he's got a camel cloak. So how do you feel about the Sharpshooter? You know, when I first looked at him again, you know, I came from Vet Guard, and it just looked yeah. like a downgrade. And the more I played with him, the more I realized, you know, going back to what you guys talked about earlier, how annoying he is. His mobility of even being able to move dash into a firing position and still shoot is so fantastic. And sure, I know 
that the lack of the lot of mortal wounds and only hitting on threes drops his damage output a little bit, but he's still that threat there, where even against intercessors and legionary, he's going to do a little chip damage. And against things that are on a seven wound, five up save chassis, he can still reliably one shot them. Um, he's wonderful at doing that. Um, what people don't want to have to deal with is a giant team of melee psychos and then one silent sniper in a sniper nest, right? That's a super obnoxious uh, sharpshooter. I really get a lot of mileage out of him, and I take him in most matchups. Yeah, so we've got the Traitor Thug up next. Uh, he's armed with a heavy club, uh, four attacks, hitting on threes, damage four, four with brutal. Uh, he's tough. So each time this operative fights in combat or a shooting attack is made against him, you subtract one from the normal damage characteristic of uh, enemy operatives' weapons for that combat or shooting attack to a minimum of one. Um, so, I mean, he's not too... Uh, doesn't really have that much going on here uh chris what do you think how do you use this guy so uh the thug is great for doing the maneuver that i you know talk about a little bit called hugging where you'll you'll intentionally charge into a fight and then just stand there uh a lot of the targets you'll want to send this guy into uh that tough thing he has really breaks the fight math a lot so yeah, you know, for operatives like, you know, Pathfinders or Vet Guard, they're only punching for one damage, right? Making them virtually unable to ever kill the thug in a fight. Um, even against operatives that have actually competent melee, like, for example, Rust Stalker, if they don't get any, any crits in there, uh, their hits go from four damage to three damage against him, and they need three hits to kill. Combine that with the fact that his weapon's brutal really baits your opponent into needing crits to take care of this guy. And if they don't get the crits they need, this guy can punch way above his weight class. Um, really, really great uh, piece. Uh, if you put him in the right fights that he enjoys, uh, he'll do quite well. Very cool. Honestly, I think the thug is just, I don't know, I just really enjoy that operative in particular. There's just something funny about, he's just got he's a just club. Got a big, a big club. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, also, he's got a four-up save, um, which is uh, unique. Uh, and speaking of four up saves, next up we've got the trench sweeper. So trench sweeper, uh, only thing unique about his stat line is the four up save, but he's also got a shotgun, uh, four shots on twos, three three, which is great, uh, and a bayonet and shield, which actually is this. He he gets both, right? Yeah, it, it's just a bayonet, and then they added the shield roll onto it, so it's not right. very exciting. Oh, I just uh, meant what is, both the shotgun yeah. and the bayonet. And shield. Oh yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, so the bayonet and shield to melee thing, it's three attacks on three is two, three, but it's got the shield ability. So whenever he fights in combat in the resolve successful hit step, uh, he basically parries two instead of one. It's kind of like the, uh, the storm shield or something like that. Uh, but he's also got the shielding ability. Uh, so each time this operative is activated, you can use this, uh, ability. If you do so until the operative is next activated, uh, each time a shooting attack is made against him and the roll defense dice step. Uh, he can reroll any or all of his defense dice. Very nice, considering that four-up save, especially. And uh, he does move a little bit slower. He subtracts a circle from his movement while the uh, the shielding ability is online. So, how do you use the trench sweeper, and how how often do you take him? I almost always take him. Um, it's really hard for me to justify dropping him. Um, the ability to reliably drop that shotgun damage. Um, you know, the shotgun's hitting on twos, which is just fabulous, is, is excellent. Uh, the ability to plant that shield for Relentless on defense on a four-up save can make him surprisingly tanky against any shooting that doesn't have AP. Uh, this guy's amazing, has so many uses. Um, sometimes I'll use him to plant the shield and give him plus one APL, move dash onto objective and punch it, right? Now, now all of a sudden, um, you know, he's saving on fours, uh, he rerolls all defense dice, and he's just an annoying little piece sitting there. 
Um, there, there's a lot of different ways you can use him. He can jump in front of bullets for Dark Favor. Um, he can just run around and shotgun things. Very, very versatile piece. Um, and just really, really great kind of part of the toolbox. Very cool. Very cool. And I mean, that is, uh, there's, there's the leader left outside of the basic trooper. So, I mean, we can skip the basic trooper unless you have anything to say about him. It's GA2 is, is the, yeah. the key aspect of the trooper. And sometimes that really can do some magic. Um, if you've ever played against Vet Guard and seen what they do with their GA2 troopers, it's the same deal here. Nice. So, I mean, there's the chieftain and there's a lot of different ways you can uh, like outfit the chieftain. Um, uh, I mean, as far as stat wise, he's got eight wounds. That's the only special thing going on there. Uh, but he's got a lot of choices here. Um, why don't you walk us through some of these choices, Chris? Yeah, so so unlike prior teams, uh, this this team does make you choose if you want to specialize in having a better pistol or a better melee weapon. Uh, unfortunately, it's hard to justify ever not taking the plasma pistol, which means that in practice, I have never run anything other than the plasma pistol with improvised blade melee weapon. That's that's just a dinky four dice on threes, two slash three. There are options from the power weapon or the, or the chain sword. But you sacrifice so much by giving away your plasma pistol to do it, I just don't think it's worth it. Um, especially because of how well the plasma pistol combines with his other abilities of uh, being able to have sort of fake gaze of the gods. So uh, there are some other options for pistols to have a better melee weapon. I always run the plasma pistol well. Nice. And speaking of those abilities, he's got the blooded icon ability. So once per turning point, when a friendly blooded operative with a blooded token is uh, incapacitated within six of them, you can take that token and add it to your pool instead of it just disappearing into the void. Um, and uh, this has no effect if this operative is only treated as having it. Yeah, okay. Uh, and then he's got the lead with strength ability. So each time this operative fights in combat or makes a shooting attack, if it has a blooded token and is more than six in your drop zone, treat it as if it's under the gaze of the gods for that combat or shooting attack. So pretty good. It seems like it really wants you to get forward with the leader and and kind of get stuck in a little bit. Yeah, definitely. It definitely rewards him, you know, being a more active combatant. Uh, mm -hmm. That said, in practice, um, you know, being away from six of your drop zone isn't actually that hard uh, most mm -hmm. of the time. Um, so, yeah, it, it tends to be pretty easy to get that, uh, that lead with strength. So he's usually being treated as being under the gaze of the gods, which is uh, exceptional. Especially as long as as long as you give him that first blooded token, that that's the critical piece. You have to give him the blooded token yes. first. Uh, okay, so that pretty much covers the um, the operatives. But I guess on the topic of how you allocate the blooded tokens, uh, why don't we talk about that for a second? So, like, you start with uh, the one, right? And uh, so, who do you typically give your your blooded tokens to, like, out of the gate? My first blooded token turn one, it's just it's an open secret at this point. It's always gonna go on my on my plasma gunner. Um that is that is the place where I'm gonna get the most bang for my buck with that with that one blooded token. And I'm gonna leave that as a threat there saying, Hey, yeah, my, my plasma gunner, sure, he hits on fours, but one of those I don't even roll it, right? It's just an auto. And the, the swinginess factor of only rolling three dice at that point, um, you can really spike that into three hits plus the auto retain without that much difficulty. So he's almost always getting my first blooded token. After that, I tend to emphasize giving blood tokens to my ranged threats in general first. Um, with some exceptions, if, if a certain melee operative, I gain initiative and I need them to be successful in the charge, I may do it there. 
but it tends to be if if uh, my melee operatives are going to need a lot of blood tokens i'll just pop the ploy for reckless aspirants and give them that fake free one um mm -hmm. so generally it's going to be the gunners uh it's going to be possum gunner first um followed by whoever my second gunner is and my chieftain um giving that first blood token to help him trigger the fake gaze of the gods he gets um and then from there as time goes on it just i start giving blood tokens to anyone who's going to contribute meaningfully to my game plan Right. Uh, outside of the ones who, of course, want to jump in front of the bullet, as you said. Earlier. Yes, correct. Strategically not giving blooded tokens to certain operatives. Uh, it was painful lessons early on when I was playing blooded and realized that if I over-allocated, I couldn't jump in front of the bullets anymore. Very sad. Nice. Uh, so I guess, Ryan, do you want to take us into the equipment here? Sure. So um, I'm going to go ahead and just skip over the frag and crack grenades. At this point, everybody knows what those do and what those stat lines are. Uh, so we'll lead in here with the armor plates for two equipment points. Uh, each time a shooting attack is made against this operative in the roll defense dice step of that shooting attack, you can re-roll any or all of your defense dice results of one. Um, okay. I mean, it's yeah, it's it's neat. It's uh, you know, I I call it it's ceaseless on defense. Is yeah, what I describe it. Um, I generally put it on my operatives that have four up saves, like the thug or the enforcer. Um, if I'm taking the enforcer, uh, it's certainly nice. Uh, that said, it's really easy for this to not trigger ever. You know, you roll a four, a three, to two for your thug, and he's dead, and it never mattered. So, um, it's a running theme with the blooded equipment. Is there's really not that much good stuff here. Uh, you're focusing on the operatives, and the equipment is only so so. So, I mean, there's the chem breather for one equipment point, which basically, you know, you ignore stun, you ignore modifiers, whatever. This isn't amazing, but I do really like the Sinister Trophy. I mean, would you say this is probably the best option? Yeah, the Sinister Trophy is the standout equipment option because it's borderline useful. Uh, that said, it is a straight <laughs> downgrade from the Legionary version. Uh, the yes. Legionary version has a three-inch range. This one is only an engagement range. Um this one is really good against, for example, Gellerpox with that uh, really big Hulk that has the one swing that um, it does, you know, eight slash nine damage. And with Sinister Trophy, they can't use that. Um, however, what they can do is hatchway fight you and stay out of engagement range and still do it. So I learned that painful lesson as well. Sure. Um, it, so that is something to look out for is that this is, in fact, only in engagement range, not fighting. Interesting. And then uh, we've got incendiary shells, Ryan. Do you want to go over that one? Yeah, so uh, these cost two equipment points. Obviously, you can only put him on the trench sweeper because he's the guy with the shotgun. Uh, these incendiary shells, you can shoot. Like, once you equip them, you can choose when you do and when you don't shoot using them. So the upside to it is uh, if you choose to shoot with incendiary shells, the shotgun gains the blast one special rule, but you are subtracting one from the weapon's normal damage characteristic. So it goes from a 3-3, I believe, down to a 2-3 with Blast 1. Um, I mean, Chris, do you ever take this? or Run it against Gellerpox, even on open board, and on In the Dark uh, against 7-moon 5-up save teams. I'll run it a little bit. Um, it is great that you can choose to, to or not to do uh, to fire the shells because it's, it's just straight up worse to, to do them against a single target. Uh, even out in the dark when you get that lethal 5 up, it's still actually worse than just shooting the weapon normally. Uh, that said, if you got a cluster and can get some cheeky shot where somebody's got a, you know, a leader hiding behind something and the only way to hit him is, is to tag with blast shot, there's some play there. So yeah. it's not useless, uh, but boy do I wish it didn't downgrade the normal damage. Oh, I bet. I mean, I... It is nice that it isn't a one-time use. Um, a lot of the things like tend to be a one-time use. So let's say in a hypothetical world, if you could have it keep 
the normal damage, but it's one-time use, would you trade that? Absolutely, yeah. I thought so, okay. Uh, next up, we've got the Beast Pelt for one equipment point. Uh, the operative gains the following ability for the battle. Uh, each time a shooting attack is made against it, uh, if the ranged weapon has the Blaster Torrent special rule and the roll defense dice step of that shooting attack, you can re-roll one of your defense dice, and it's unaffected by the splash critical hit rule. So in hindsight, this is the, it's like the Void Armor that yeah. Navis Preachers get. Yeah, it's it's actually a little better than Void Armor, uh, which is which is pretty cool. Uh, that said, you know, Blooded just don't have the chassis to really exploit it very well. Uh, they have very few 4-up saves where, where Void Armor starts really mattering. Um, and, you know, at least it's cheap for one equipment point. So I'll run it in cheeky scenarios against, you know, for example, Hyro Tech when they take all Tesla Immortals. Um, I will just tech into taking a bunch of Beast Pelts just to be ignore, uh, just be annoying and ruin their only mechanic. Uh, poor Hyro Tech. Um, yeah, I rarely run this, but it, it's neat. You know, it's a nice tool in the toolbox. Uh, last on the equipment list here, we have got Wicked Blades, which costs either one or two equipment points. Uh, you select a bayonet, bayonet and shield, or a improvised blade, which your operative is equipped with, and you add one to that weapon's normal damage characteristic. If it's selected for a bayonet and shield, it costs two EP, otherwise it costs one. Yeah, this this is neat. Uh, I tend to use it as spillover from, you know, whenever I'm done purchasing armor plates or the Sinister Trophy, I tend to throw a couple Wicked Blades out there. Uh, Especially on my leader, um, it's nice to be able to bump the leader's damage um, up a little bit. Otherwise, um, yeah, you know, it's it's not that great. <laughs> I I do like that the best like like words that you had to say about any of this was borderline useful with yeah. sinister trophy. Yeah. Um. So I mean, how much does your equipment differ from game to game? Do you have like a set like a set static loadout, or does it yeah, vary I have a pretty... wildly? I have a pretty static loadout for the equipment. Um, all the changes that Blooded have happen during the game. Uh, there's, you know, there's a little bit of changeouts I do on the on the muster, and a tiny bit of changeouts I do on the equipment. But overall, uh, most of the change happens actually during the game. Okay, so what are you usually taking then? Like, I so, take it the Sinister Trophy is usually there. Yeah, usually I'm taking the Sinister Trophy. Uh, I will always take the Thugs. So I'm always taking armor plates there. Uh, if I take the Enforcer, I will also take another set of armor plates on him. Um, and then otherwise, depending on who I'm fighting against, it'll be some Chem Breathers, Beast Pelts, or Wicked Blades to taste. Um, and then maybe take maybe take the Incendiary Shells. And then some cheeky matchups, like against Hyrotech, for example. Uh, I just put Beast Pelts on everybody, uh, so that all the splash turns off. Um, and it also degrades the shooting from most of the Cryptex a little bit. Okay, very cool. So next up, we're going to talk a little bit. We're going to touch on the faction tech ops. So there's three of them, obviously. Uh, there's Worthy Champ, Malign Command, Bloodbath. Uh, instead of reading them all, which of these, are there any of these right out the gate that you just never, ever take? Yeah, so Worthy Champion, I never, ever take. Uh, okay. And the reason is, is because... You have to, the person you give Gaze of the Gods to has to live to the end of the turn. And it has to be a real Gaze of the Gods, not the fake one your leader gets. Uh, that's so much resource allocation for the person you give Gaze to has to survive and has to get a kill. It's so limiting in practice. You're giving up so much to, to fulfill those conditions. I took it a lot when I started playing the team and I just found it a handicap. So that one's sort of out for me. Uh, 
On the scale of increasing usefulness, the next one is Malign Command, and that's the one about holding objectives with people with blood of tokens. On the surface, it seems okay, and there are times in a more defensive game plan I may want to take it, but it takes so long to get enough blood of tokens out, and again, you're, you're having to allocate them on certain objectives. It just becomes hard to justify it uh, a little bit, unless you really know you're going to uh, have a defensive strategy. Uh, but then the number one tack up, which I take almost all the time, is Bloodbath. This is a really fun one. You just kill a bunch of stuff, and the more of your <laughs> opponent's team you kill, the better, um, which is great because late game, you never need to decide between getting points or killing. You get to do both at the same time. Uh, murder is great. Uh, Bloodbath, 10 to 10, I run it every time. Every time? Every time. Okay. It's cool. even, so, even if I know that it might not be the most optimal choice, it's the most fun choice. That's fair. I take it every time. So I guess on the topic of tech ops, they can only take seek and destroy. So, I mean, honestly, with the new crit ops, stocks are up on seek and destroy. Oh, definitely. Um, so what are your go-to seek and destroy tech ops to pair with Bloodbath? Yeah, I mean, I, I think at this point, this is meme-worthy uh, because you, you see the same combo, but it's it's the limited guards and Robin Ransack. You yeah. know, I, I know I'm not the first one to come up with this, uh, so uh, those two are excellent. There are times where I might play Executioner or Route, so those those are under consideration, um, but the defaults are eliminate guards and Robin Ransack, and then I'll let the matchup dictate if I need to swap one of those out. Cool. Uh, yeah, Eliminate Guard's uh, very good. Ryan and I have yeah. been playing a lot of games into each other where we're just picking guards between both of us every every single turn. So yeah. It's like, uh, oh, you wanted to play the game and hold objectives? Well, well, well. Well, here's <laughs> something that just directly punishes you for doing that. Yes, I'll yep. take as many of those yep. as I can get. Thank you. Uh, so, I mean, I guess let's talk a little bit about how blooded fair on into the dark versus open uh so first off before we get too specific where do you like them more definitely on in the dark uh on on open you know i have to have nightmares about having some cheeky turn one grenade blast into my drop yeah. zone and into the dark just makes that not possible so blooded definitely feel more comfortable into the dark and i am really excited to get to run a pure into the dark event uh, when i'll be running blooded at kto coming up Oh, it'll be a very good time. I cannot wait for KTO. Yeah. Um. So, uh. So, like, what about? I mean, obviously, into the dark. Uh, you don't have to worry about that alpha strike as much. Um. But what what else kind of like is characteristic of of how you like to play the game with this team when you're on the close confines? What's nice about the the close confines here is you get to be a little more deliberate about how turning point two develops. Um, because there's just less board flexibility and some, again, like cheeky angle goals and these random shots, you, you can really curate what the stage is going to look like at the start of turn two. Um, and Blooded's vulnerability during the first turn, where they don't have any Blooded tokens out, you know, they're pretty far from you, their shooting's pretty lackluster at that point. Um, all those things are smoothed over. And uh, they have the hat trick of pulling out those GA2, GA2 troopers if they want, which are obviously wonderful. You know, you have one, open the door, charge, the next charge and fight, all right, you get the combat support in there, you can just have a lot of flexibility with, with having that GA2 for opening doors and doing some cool stuff. So... Uh, I think blooded gain a lot in Into the Dark that they can't quite do as much in open. Nice. And so I guess on the topic of open, like what what are you doing differently as far as how you set up and, and how you try to like steer the game when you're playing on an open board? 
On open board, you know, I, I like to set up a game plan that isn't reliant on turn two initiative. And I know it's it's easier said than done. Yeah. But what what I focus on a lot is is just threat saturation of, of creating a mid board where no matter what my opponent activates first and no matter what they kill first, what's going to come after them is going to hurt even worse than that. Um, that usually relies around having a flenzer and a thug in a pretty exposed position um, because my opponent's tending to need to allocate more to kill them than they're worth. Um, and then keeping the sort of the Butcher and Ogryn in a little bit more safe positions to make sure they can get their charges off, because that's really, really important to make sure those two pieces specifically trigger. Uh, other than that, it's, it's you know, getting that, that sniper in a, in a point to do a little bit of chip damage and being able to retaliate when your opponent exposes their heavy hitters uh, to really to be able to slap them back hard and get those plasma melta grenade launcher shots into retaliate. Okay, very cool. Uh, do you tend to like not, so obviously the Ogren on Into the Dark can't open doors. Is that usually like, do, like, do you find yourself taking the Ogren less on Into the Dark or do you just, does it not the doors, matter? The doors alone isn't going to swing the decision against Ogren that much, but mm -hmm. what will make more of a decision is if there, if there are mission actions required on the objectives. So that, that, that does play a big consideration into whether or not I'm taking Ogryn. Um, when you need to punch the points, um, he's just a lot less valuable. And if it's the one where you just sit on the points, you know, he's having a great time. So that, that does play into it. Um, you know, likewise, the Enforcer, um, you know, the, the benefit of being able to get those cheeky early game Overwatch shots are a lot less important uh, compared to Troopers. So Into the Dark, you know, for both the heroes, you lean a little more, in my mind, toward taking Troopers for both. Okay, very cool. Um, and I mean, generally speaking with the crit ops stuff, which we haven't touched on too much outside of the tac ops, uh, I mean, do you, do you think other than tac ops, like the general mission layout, do you think it's been favorable for blooded, like the six objectives being on every map and, and such? You know, to be honest, I, I don't think I've played enough of the end into the dark crit ops pack to know for sure. Uh, one thing that I, I do and don't like is how the maps tend to have a sort of an even allocation of, of three objectives per side, yeah. which doesn't give the blooded a lot of times an easy, obvious point to initiate new fights. And so this is one that I'm still workshopping on, on if that's favorable to them, as opposed to having some central objectives that the blooded can dogpile into. So I think the jury's still out and I'll have a lot more of an informed decision after KTO. Yeah, it's definitely something I've been looking at too, because outside of, I want to say, so mission one is just a big bloodbath in the middle. Um, and then mission three and six, you each side has two, and there's two on opposite sides of the middle. But every other one, like you said, does have that neutral three and three layout. So it's been a weird thing to prepare for um, in my KTO prep, personally. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so next up, I mean, matchups-wise, how, like, how different is it uh, preparing for an elite team versus like playing against another horde team? Like how... Do you feel more comfortable versus one or the other? I actually feel a little more comfortable against uh, elite teams, uh, surprisingly. Mm -hmm. um, against horde teams, I, I tend to have to spread out a lot more. Um, and while I did end up playing against, against uh, Vet Guard, I played against Pathfinders a little bit, um, you know, those, those tend to spread you really thin, uh, as opposed to elites where I can use a little bit more of, of force allocation, uh, get that glory kill up and get some of those those uh, you know hard hard kill um, you know threats like the Ogren and the, the butcher in. So I I tend to prefer fighting against elites with this team, especially because you can leverage that twelve activations to really put the screws on after they're done. 
Very nice. And how about the horde matchups? So, like, we'll, there's different hordes. There's obviously there's Gellerpox, which is more of a melee horde, and you have stuff like Pathfinders, which are uh, shooty hordes. Um, do you have a preference between those two? I definitely the the nightmare matchup for me is Gellerpox. Uh, I will I will take anything before having to fight against Gellerpox. Yeah. I think that team is tailor made to deal with Blooded. Uh, against the shooty hordes, I actually don't feel as bad. Uh, I use the you know the term daisy chain or leapfrogging, um, where I'll, I'll, ch I'll uh, charge operatives in and intentionally not fight, wait for the next turn, and then get that fight kill and charge the next one. And by doing this leapfrog maneuver, I end up just locking up a huge part of my opponent's game plan um, where they want to be shooting and moving around, and I just keep hugging them, you know, running at them and giving them a big old hug and not letting, letting them go anywhere. Um, and that's that's a technique that I used uh, to to decent success uh, at LVO when I when I ran against opponents who wanted to sort of shoot around me and kite me. Nice. So I mean, so it sounds like Gellerpox is obviously the toughest matchup. Um, is there anything in the meta that's super common that you absolutely love playing against? Like you will never Reachers. be worried about it. Breachers. Yep. Okay. I love the Breachers matchup. Uh, Breachers hate being hugged. Uh, their melee overall is pretty lackluster, and while that Blitz Bomb tool is pretty effective, they only have one of them, and as long as you watch that one like a hawk, you're okay. Um, I have done extremely well into Breachers um, every time i played against them, um, and my uh, my regular sparring partner who plays Breachers, uh, who actually placed uh, sixth place at LVO. So I'm pretty confident that I'm getting at least a decent look at what Breachers can do, and I feel pretty good in that matchup as Blooded. Very cool, very cool. Um, so, I mean, I think we're coming towards the end here uh, w with our blooded deep dive. So I guess like uh, to wrap back around, um, how, like roughly speaking in, in the, in the imaginary world of, of tears, how good are blooded in your eyes? I think, I think blooded are, you know, assuming there's one S tier above, I think blooded are in the top of an A tier. Um, some sort of magical uh, ephemeral A tier. Um, <laughs> I think this is this is factoring in all the other teams that exist. Uh, this is factoring the latest balance data slate, which knocked Pathfinders down a body, which I think were a big problem back when they were at 13 bodies and activations. Uh, and I think that changed the landscape enough that that really let Blooded shine. Uh, I think the lack of consistency and internal reliability, um, especially with the lack of a good suite of strategic ploys, um, is what keeps them from being that S tier option. Uh, but they are absolutely a joy to play. They have they present so many different threats. They have 12 activations. They have gunner options. They have melee options. They have fun internal synergies. They can do some things to really surprise your opponent. And they can also just slap down, roll some dice, and do some good damage. So they, they bring so many fun tools to the table. Um, I think they're absolutely viable at the highest levels of competitive play. And I look forward to giving them one more shake at KTO here coming up. Nice. So you'd say they're in a pretty good spot balance-wise. Like, they don't really need buffs or, or nerfs. I think so. I mean, I have some personal wishlist items, um, you know, if, if I could if I could ask for anything. But I would probably say that that, you know, whoever the game designers are, you know, are doing a great job with balance so far. And, and there are a few other teams that probably need need some adjustments more than blooded. Cool. So, Ryan, did you have anything else you wanted to touch on? Um, no, not really. I think we did a pretty good job of covering everything that the blooded have going for him. All right. Well, I, I suppose if that's the case, uh, well, first of all, uh, thank you, Chris, for for coming on once again and, and talking to us about Blooded. It's uh, it's not the first time. If if you guys want to hear uh, another 
shorter video of, of Chris talking about blooded. We featured him on the 12 days of kill team in our blooded video back in December. And, uh, that was a good time, but, um, uh, yeah, I mean, thank you for coming on, man. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on again. As, as always, it's a pleasure and I can't wait for the next one. Uh, so thank you. Yep. I uh, can't wait to see you at KTO as well. That's going to be a super fun time. Hell yeah. Um, it's going to be a blast. So uh, as always, everybody listening, uh, thank you for, for sticking all the way to the end with us. You guys are the best. We just hit 7,000 subscribers recently. That's amazing. But if you're not subbed, you still should because there's always 8,000 somewhere on the horizon. And, uh, you know, if you're really enjoying our content, uh, if you want to support us a little bit more, you can check out our Patreon over at patreon.com slash command point to uh, help keep the lights on here at command point. Uh, all of our patrons and YouTube membership members, you guys are the best. We, uh, we love you very, very much. Uh, so this is Command Point with Chris Bahi talking about Blooded. Signing out. <laughs>